When one gets to travel the world, it really does shape our worldview and how we view humanity. It changes our resident perspective from where we originate from, mixing it with various points of views, cultures, personalities, emotions, and of course, stories. And ultimately, stories are what connects us all across time, whether in relationships or in business. This week, I got to speak to Charles Brewer, current group CEO at Post Malaysia, but a man who has traveled to close to half the total countries around the world, making him a certified international specialist with a deep passion for e-commerce and logistics, for its power to connect across any borders. We dive into his stories, what he discovered as differences amongst the people and culture he has encountered, and how what connects us is either our EQ or our IQ. We understand his deep passion for the world of logistics and e-commerce and how he constantly uses it to connect with people with, as well as customers. We also get a sneak peek into the history of Malaysia's first and oldest postal service, Post Malaysia, what the future holds for it in this digitalized age, and how maybe going back to basics with stories and connections might be what we all need. Have a listen. Okay, so we're here on episode 24 on Talk To Me and uh, it's really, 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 really humbling to know that we've come this far and uh, to the team that's been bringing these episodes, uh, Shashi, who's the producer on the back end and we have a team gathering all the, the guests that we have here. And today we have uh, someone pretty, pretty special. I've been actually watching a lot of his videos that have been coming out. Um, one thing I have to say in all the videos, this person I have right here with us is super warm in the way that he's delivering the message from the video. And who do I have? I have Charles Brewer, Group CEO of Post Malaysia with us. Hi, Charles. How are you doing? Very good, Nikesh. How are you? Good. Very good this morning. Thanks for joining us. And uh, honestly, I'm, I'm not superlatively saying those things, but really, whenever I watch those videos that you have, it's it's really warming. So I think it's your nature and your character coming across as well. And the messages that you have around um, what you say in the videos, your passion really shines through. And we're going to explore that a little bit here today. So let me just get this part and confirm this part. You're originally from the London, UK. That was where you first came from? Um, my wife describes me as a modern day gypsy. Um, okay. Um, originally, so yeah, originally, if I go back far enough, originally born in the UK, I was born in the, mm -hmm. the UK, born in the north of England, and uh, uh, but grew up in the south mm -hmm. and moved around a fair bit, mm -hmm. and uh, ended up leaving the UK. I don't know, twenty odd years ago or something like that. So right. Right. yeah, right. So and that's that's a good segue to what I wanted to actually talk about. When I had a look at what you've done, your long career that you've been doing from your early days at DHL, uh, finding Click Connect to now Group CEO of Post Malaysia. Uh, two things really stood out to me. One is how long that list is. And two is how many places around the world you've been to. So the amount of people, cultures that you kind of got to interact with and also kind of uh, apply yourself to is pretty amazing that story. And um, this thing kind of stood out to me in your LinkedIn, certified international specialists. So that, that's pretty interesting that you said that. So my question here is this, like, what was it like your experience, you know, experiencing different people and cultures all around the world? Uh, just um, amazing, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting, I mean, I get asked the question quite often. And uh, I think I've been to about 112 countries uh, at last count. And 112? 
Yeah. Wow. There's, 200, there's 220 plus in the world, so I've still got 100 to go. <laughs> so still, I haven't been to much of Latin America. I need to do a lot more of that. Right. Okay. Um, and a few islands dotted around. But uh, here in Asia, I think there's 48 countries. I've been to all of those. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I've been to a lot. But uh, to, to answer your question, I think a couple of comments. One is I wouldn't wish it on everybody, you know. So right. I have friends who have never left their village. Mm. Uh, and they're really super happy with their life. And that's mm. great for them. I'm really, you know, I wouldn't dream of suggesting that what I've done is, being, is what everybody else should do. But for me, it's been absolutely fantastic. I love and my family is, is bizarre as well. I met a, a fantastic woman who I married mm -hmm. 16 years ago, who's Malaysian, uh, mm -hmm. um, which is great. But I was lucky that I found somebody that also loves to sort of open the curtains and see um, a different view every two or three years or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I'm very fortunate because, as I said, it's not for everyone, that's for sure. You live, out of, live a little bit out of a suitcase. In fact, my kids, who are 12 and 14, Mm -hmm. I kind of got to that age now where they're hanging onto my legs saying, please, daddy, can we not move again? I want to have, <laughs> I want to have a life. And so we've, we're slowing down now. So I'm hoping that this is the last one right. uh, and that we're back in Malaysia and they can grow up and have uh, friends and all the normal stuff and things that people do. But to your question, mm -hmm. no, I'd be really super lucky. I love it. And uh, I've seen some amazing things. And seen gorillas in Rwanda in the mountains. I've seen Table Mountain in Cape Town. Right. I, I worked on the 144th floor of the Burj Khalifa, wow. which is the highest office in the world. Wow. Um, yeah, and so many, many other, New York and many other things we've places we've lived, which has given myself and my family a very rich experience. Mm. Um, but as I said, it's not for everyone. I, I like it. And, and just to add to the, your certified international specialist, the other so as I said earlier, my wife calls us sort of modern day gypsies, but uh, I love that Austin Powers phrase, which is international man of mystery. I think that, oh. one, that one's even better. I love that one. Inter so I'm an international man of mystery. I think that's uh, international man of mystery. And uh, I know which one you're talking about, Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that um, opening those curtains, kind of seeing and your stories from like gorillas in Rwanda to looking across the whole of Dubai from the Burj Khalifa. So I want to ask you some sort of categorization questions, right? So you've seen different people, different places, different cultures. So if you were to kind of put a category to it, because people like to kind of understand things simply, what are probably that key differences that you kept on noticing repeat itself as you went from places to places? Um, well, so... Even even today, I hear people say, you know, the culture in Asia, mm. and it's such a, or the culture in Africa, mm. or the culture in Americas, and it's such a bad statement because, you know, only four hours down the road is Singapore, but the culture mm. between Singapore and Malaysia are completely different. Mm. You know, north of Kedah, you have Thailand, and the culture between Thailand and here is completely different. So, you know, one of the first things I observed, you know, when I left, first left, the UK, I always, always wanted to leave the UK. That was always my plan. I right. really don't know why, but it was, it was sort of just in my DNA that I wanted to leave. And part of that wanting to leave is I wanted to experience something different to just what I saw outside of my where I was growing up. And I really had the opportunity to do that. But to your point, you know, so everywhere, Africa, there are 52 countries in Africa. And, and uh, to fly from Cape Town to my longest flight I would do would be to um, Senegal. Mm. And that was 18 hours. It's mm. a huge continent. So on the map, it looks quite small. It's, yeah. it's 18 hours flight 
from Cape Town to Senegal, and mm. you fly over 52 countries to do that, or 40, mm. and the cultures across each of those countries are massively, massively different. So I think to answer your question, so first and foremost, you know, the culture is so, so different. So wherever you go, you know, you observe very quickly the culture is very different. Mm-hmm. Number two is the business environment is really, really different. So how people operate mm-hmm. really different. I'll give you an example, you know. So in life, you're either an IQ or an EQ. Some, yeah. some people are, are somewhere 4% of the planet are somewhere in the middle, but yeah. um, who are also where most schizophrenics come from, by the way, as well. Um, but anyway, to the point, you're either sort of heavy IQ or heavy EQ. I'm definitely yeah. heavy EQ. I'm biased towards EQ, so very emotive, tell mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of more on the emotional quotient side as opposed to numbers. Mm-hmm. So when I was working with Deutsche Post DHL, for example, which I worked with DHL for 35 years, and when I was running the, the e-commerce division, I was reporting into Germany. Mm-hmm. So if you if you bounce into a meeting room in Germany and mm-hmm. tell them a joke and a funny story and talk about Arsenal Football Club and blah, 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 all the emotional quotient, mm-hmm. they look at you like you're a Martian. Um, they just want to see a graph or numbers or data right. or whatever else. So right. the the second, so first of all, is this sort of culture. Second one is, I think, the sort of how different countries operate right. from a business perspective are hugely different. So Africa is all EQ. North America, uh, the US is IQ. Canada mm. is EQ. Germany is IQ, IQ, mm. IQ. Mm. Uh, Asia is somewhere between EQ and IQ. You get a Northern Asia mm-hmm. is more IQ. Singapore is more IQ. Mm-hmm. Malaysia, Southeast Asia is EQ. You know, so mm-hmm. it it teaches you the necessity to be a bit of a chameleon and to recognize. I mean, who you are as a person, your DNA, your your sort of core values mm-hmm. uh, don't change. And and actually, it's one of the things that. I hold on to very dearly is that my value system is very constant regardless where I operate. Mm. But you have to adjust your behavior, uh, both business and personal, uh, mm. depending on where you operate. I'll tell you a lovely story mm. just, uh, just to give you an example. When I first came to Malaysia, true story, when I first came to Malaysia 20 odd years ago, mm-hmm. um, we used to, our head office was in Pataling Jaya and PJ. Yep. And um, uh, anyway, so I started working there. And because I was in the new job, I was used to come in quite early around 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I was there till, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember about three weeks into the job, I was in a board meeting and um, I was sitting next to, a, to the head of operations. So I ran commercial mm-hmm. and I was sitting next to the head of operations. And he asked me, how's it going? I said, oh, it's fantastic. And I said, you, you guys here. You work like Trojans. I said, I come in at seven, seven o'clock and everybody's there. And I leave at 7.30 or eight o'clock at night and everybody is there. Mm-hmm. And he said, he smiled. And I said, what are you smiling? And he said, so you come in at seven, correct? And I said, yeah. And he said, and everybody's there? And I said, yeah. And you leave at seven, 7.30? And I said, yeah. He said, and everybody's there? I said, yeah. He said, it's because you are the boss. And therefore, people are coming in to please you. And I went, I said, so I'm creating the problem. And and that's been repeated times, I don't know, 20-odd countries, is that everywhere you go, I learned that from my first um, overseas posting here in Malaysia, is you have to sort of check your own experiences at the door Mm. and modify very, acclimate very quickly to the new environment you work in, or else you either... And luckily, none of what I've done has been... I don't think culturally offensive, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely I've had in situations where I perhaps haven't really appreciated what my behaviors are doing in someone else's culture. So right. it's been a really interesting experience. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned just now that 
it doesn't matter how you kind of apply yourself to as long as you keep to your very core principles then you know that you're not ever going to harm somebody else or you're not going to be insincere and you kind of already answered the next question which i was about to ask you which is you know it's crazy to go across so many different cultures so many different people and there's so many differences that you got to kind of weigh it out but you kind of mentioned this whole iq eq thing and that seems to be a nice simple way to kind of look at for a human being there are probably two ways to kind of approach it uh, either the person's very driven by data facts and you got to talk to them that way or the person's driven emotionally on uh, more towards pleasing uh, how they deal with people and you completely right about the whole Malaysian culture about yes if i see my boss come in early i've got to be there with my boss if my boss leaves late i'll stay with my boss if not my boss will think that i'm not doing my work so yeah. it, it's so very true and i think that's that's a great way to kind of uh look at it and i kind of want to shift this now a little bit towards you've been mentioning uh e-commerce and i'm looking at your profile as well and you mentioned you have this great passion for e-commerce and logistics where did this passion come from um the truth be told i don't know that i i was somebody asked me that once a few years ago and i said i don't think i was born uh thinking i want to work in logistics mm. and um you know again a true story i was playing rugby in the uk at the time and uh, a very very good friend of mine who i played rugby with came came to me one day and said hey you should come and work for this company dhl mm-hmm. um, and in those days i think dhl was only about four or five years old so no one knew who they were mm. and i said no i'm good you know i was uh, i think I, at the time i was selling life insurance god, god forbid oh well wow. and, and earning quite a bit of money and affording not to have to work every day which suited my my i was very young at the time uh, but anyway but anyway he kept he kept on asking me and anyway cutting a long story eventually uh he came in one day with the application form completed he just said sign here and uh, so i did and so i went for the interview and um again i'll, I'll take a long story and keep it short but in those days it was in the 80s so i had a long hair demi wave big right. ram earring i had frankie goes on with a relaxed t-shirt as in right. my shorts and flip flops and uh, i had my interview and they said why do you want to join dhl and one of the reasons i gave them was because uh, i said look i don't really i said my friend just has been bugging me nonstop right. and, um he says so why yeah as well as my friend keep bugging me so anyway so he said why why would you join and i said well i guess to go overseas so he said so let me get this clear you don't really want to join us and when you do join you want to leave and go overseas and i said yeah pretty much um and there was a few other questions he asked which i'll i'll save for another day right. but anyway my friend rang me later that afternoon he said is it true that um, you came for an interview today i said yeah yeah he said is it true that you came for an interview in shorts and a frankie goes to hollywood relaxed t-shirt mm-hmm. with an earring and flip flops and yesterday and he said did you come and park i drove a mini in those days he said right. did, you park, did right. you park your mini in the managing director's car parking space oh. i said yes i did and uh, he, he said yeah the whole of the head office is talking about this cheeky english guy that turned up and did this Right. But that, I'm going back to the question you asked earlier. I haven't changed much. I've got shorter hair. I'm not wearing the Frankie Goes to Hollywood relaxed t-shirt. <laughs> but I'm, I'm fundamentally the same person I was then. But um, right. to the point, to your question, um, you know, having joined DHL, they offered me a job. I still don't know, understand why, but they did offer me a job. And, uh, you know, I learned really, really quickly the logistics is sexy. It's cool. Mm. Yeah, we move 
you know, everything around the world across 220 countries and uh, in post Malaysia's case we move everything across Malaysia to every single address mm. in that's cool you know you mm. never have to whenever you meet somebody you know in a restaurant or in a cinema or in a park and somebody says who do you work for and you say in my case now post Malaysia you never have to explain what you do they get it straight away mm. so mm. it's a very I think it's a really cool industry I think that I think that at the heart of logistics is about connecting people that's right. at the very heart of what we do mm. around connecting people. And that's something I, I, you know, it makes my hair stand up when I talk about it because that's a really cool thing to do, you know. And, um, you know, just recently we ran, thanks to Cher, we ran a program which is called Mel Rakyat, mm, mm. which was all around, um, which was really fantastic. You know, it was, it was a simple conversation Cher and I were having and we were talking about the, the importance of connectedness and, and connecting Malaysians and, you know, there are loads and loads and loads of families out mm -hmm. there who haven't seen their children or their grandparents or whoever mm -hmm. for, you know, a really long time, for a year and a half or two years, you know, mm -hmm. which is really sad when you think about it. I look at my children and look at the lack of connectedness they've had over the last two years, mm -hmm. and it breaks my heart in some respects. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we ran the Mel Rakiat program uh, free of charge, you know, it's what we can do mm. to help reconnect Malaysians. And the feedback I've had from hundreds and hundreds of customers um, who said, thank you, you know, just thank you very much. I haven't seen my son for this many, this amount of time. And the chance to send him a letter, include a photo, whatever it may be, mm. is really something very cool. So that's a small example, but we do that every single day with a million letters you know, 400,000 plus parcels, we connect people. And I was just talking to the operators this morning on the call, we have a daily call. And I said, never remember the percentages are relevant. You're connecting people and delivering a story. Mm. And that's the beautiful part of logistics. I think it's fantastic. By the way, and just on, on a related question, do you know where the word logistics comes from? No, absolutely not. Okay, where, I'm gonna where give, is it? I'm going to give you this one free of charge. You can, uh, to all your right. audience, you get this. You can tell this at all restaurants and all dinners going forward. So logistics, if you remember the Romans, when they uh, when they would go into battle, they would form a square. Mm -hmm. And so the person at the front of the square, or the, around the sides, was the guy with the shield and the and the long yeah. spear. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. And so as a charging elephant and soldiers would come running towards this square in the middle of a battlefield, you would use your spear to defend the square. Yeah. And, but the problem is once you put your spear in an elephant or whatever it may be, very sad, by the way, for the elephant, mm -hmm. but once you put it in, you don't have another spear. Mm -hmm. So your line of defense becomes considerably weaker once you've had your first contact. So mm -hmm. the person, person right in the middle of the square, the most important person on the battlefield was a gentleman called a logister. Yeah. Logister would stand there with his, with a, hands around an X number of spears and just do this. Pass it on, pass it on. And they pass it out to the front to the front of the square or the, the very front of the of the square. And that's ah. where they come from. It's it's replenishing the front. And right. that is a Latin word, logister. So uh, there you go. Just, so even in that story, who wouldn't think the logistics is sexy, fun and cool? It's it's very great. Actually true. Like as you're saying that as you're sharing the story with me and uh, with our audience as well. I was just thinking, like on a day-to-day -day basis, we, we as users, we just receive those things. And we don't think about where, what went through for us to get those things, uh, whether it's a parcel, whether it's a letter. Um, 
we don't really experience that part of it and how that machinery works to actually connect everybody. All we're thinking about is, oh, I'm sending this, someone's going to receive it. Oh, I'm supposed to receive it, I get it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But when you really think about how the machinery behind it is working, and if it, that wasn't there in the first place, nothing would happen. No one would get their letter, no one would get their, uh, their parcel. And especially, yeah, today we kind of take it for granted because we got emails and whatnot, like, electronics to do those things but i remember the time where i wrote a letter i put a stamp on it went to the post box put the letter in and someone else got it and if i did not have those things they wouldn't get their message yeah they're very i mean it's, it's true you know so and look, life has changed and they're very so we've been around for more than 200 years yeah. in, in malaysia the very very first letter was sent from Penang actually to to the UK to London right. uh, two hundred years ago by a gentleman by the name of Francis Lake I think he was mm. um, and he went via India actually because mm -hmm. you couldn't get it there any other way mm -hmm. um, anyway so the, the sort of history of stamps and post and mail again is really it's warming to the heart mm. but if we're also very honest mm. I mean no one really I mean apart from bills and invoices and statements, very little comes through the mail that's handwritten and personal. It's mainly, it's mainly company, but we still do, as I said, we still do a million a day, which is still uh, uh, still really, really important for us. It's just not so much, not so frequent now that it's from human to human. It's normally machine to human. But um, but as you say, what's replaced it is e-commerce and parcels, which has right. just boomed over the last year, year and a half. Um, it was already growing massively. Right. COVID has just put it on steroids and it's now, uh, you know, rapid, rapid, rapid growth. As I said, we do 450,000 parcels on a busy day and 350,000 on a non-busy day. But, um, and everybody, it's really to your, to your point, you know, the world is changing. 20, or is it now, 37 years ago when I first started in logistics, mm -hmm. you know, if it took a week or two weeks to get there, people thought that was amazing. You know? mm -hmm. uh, I can remember my wife, my wife's very first order mm -hmm. online was in New York. I remember her doing it. It was from J Crew Kids. She was ordering something for my daughter. And she turned to me and said, it'll be here in a week. And that was New York to New York. And okay. she thought that was amazing. If you said to her today, it'll be here in a week, then she'd look at you like you're a Martian. Everybody yeah. Same hour, same day, next day, latest, you know. So who would who would have ever thought that we really needed a cucumber delivered in one hour, you know? So yeah. apparently that's what we all need now. So I deal with a lot of customers who get very anxious over their vape pipe or a cucumber or a barbecue set or whatever, whatever it is they've ordered. So, yeah, on, online is booming and mm -hmm. humor on-demand behaviors are growing and growing and growing and growing. Right. Uh, I was about to ask you a question, but uh, Shashi kind of dropped a very nice quote here actually about logistics. And this is from Sanzu. Uh, the line between disorder and order lies in logistics. Yeah, it's there you true. Go. It's true. Logistics yeah. is everything. Yeah, there, there was, um, I mean, look, I'm in the industry, so I'm clearly very passionate about it. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, more and more logisticians now are coming through to be CEOs of companies because supply chain, who, whatever business you're in, the supply chain is so Indeed. so key for its success. You know, getting something to the consumer mm -hmm. is all about supply chain. Mm -hmm. Indeed, and and you kind of mentioned just before we went into that quote about how people's behaviors are changing and how like sure what used to be general what we call snail mail has now turned into yes people want it on demand, e-commerce, parcel, those kind of things. 
did that affect the roles of those who are in the logistics industry itself? Uh, I'm pretty sure it did, but to what extent and what did you see pretty much change in the people's roles and how they have to now act based on what their customers or what the people who are using the services are demanding? Yeah, so you, I mean, you know, pre-COVID, uh, e-commerce volume globally mm-hmm. was growing at about 9%. So fairly good growth, but nothing to get overly excited. About 9% is 9%, yeah? Mm-hmm. Through COVID, that went up to 100%. So with no shops open, suddenly everybody went online. I was I was in uh, Malacca yesterday, and, and I walked around a shopping mall and went to talk to every stall and shop that was in there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe there was 40 shops or 45 shops and stalls. Mm-hmm. I asked them, how many you know, are you now online? Mm-hmm. And of the 40-odd companies or shops that were there, yeah, 38 of them were now online. Before COVID, that was probably more like 10 or 15. Yeah. So everybody through COVID had to adjust to, I hate to use the word, a new normality, mm-hmm. which is um, you want it still. The shops are not open. What I do, I go online and send it online. So to your point, the first thing that we saw through COVID and through the online search was just volumes going through the roof. Um, yeah. Not in Malaysia, but when I was in Canada on the 26th of May, uh, well, no, 2020, mm-hmm. so last year, 26th of May, 2020, we did the same volume on that day that we had planned to do nine years out. So it advanced mm-hmm. our volume forecast by nine years. Mm-hmm. The first problem that every logistics operator and postal operator around the world had to deal with was this just this, you know, 10x uh, increase in volume and right. on the same infrastructure. So, you know, Post Malaysia and many other companies didn't suddenly magically make 10 new warehouses appear yeah. or 3,000 new drivers. Mm. So you had the same infrastructure and this 10x volume. Mm-hmm. And you had the COVID protocols of distancing, mask wearing, quarantining, and all sorts of other things. So less people, less productive, same infrastructure, 10x volume. And people wondered why their barbecue set took maybe half a day longer or one day longer to get delivered. Most customers, I would say the majority of customers, were fairly understanding of that. But we still had the odd person there on Facebook would say, I cannot believe you can't deliver to Miri in two days. You know, so questions like that. But anyway, so so the first one was volume. Second one is a very, very challenging environment. Um, I, again, and I, and I would like to just recognize the 20-odd thousand people that we have ha- we have in Post Malaysia who for a year and a half, two years, you know, again, like you said earlier, Nigesh, have been operating with 10x the volume, all the risks of COVID, and have not complained once. Never, ever, ever have they said a bad word or criticised or can't go and deliver. They walk across lakes, water, floods, mm. God knows whatever else, to make sure you get your barbecue set mm. in that uh, within that transom. So that the, the employees at Post Malaysia, and I'm sure many other postal operators, have mm. been absolutely amazing. Uh, throughout COVID. And, and the last point I make is that, you know, I think, you know, pre-COVID, people had an appreciation for logistics. Mm-hmm. But during COVID, they've realized how essential it really is, mm. how essential that logistics infrastructure really is that keeps, mm. you know, Malaysians connected, continue, allows them to continue to operate, allows yeah. them to send their birthday card to their friend or receive their birthday cake or whatever else it may be. So the word essential is thrown around quite lightly, but I really do think that people like Post Malaysia and others have become essential, more essential, perhaps realize more essential 
today than they ever have in the past. So, uh, yeah. but hey, the train doesn't stop. Consumers yeah. now want even more speed, even more visibility. So now we're working hard on the next version. Yeah, uh, I mean, two things that you, you kind of said that really stuck out to me. One is even me and my own uh, behaviors, like I'm a tech guy, so I like, you know, getting tech stuff and all that. And most of these stuff are big. And I remember something I just recently got with this, this tool that I'm using at home, this monitor that I have, which helps with my productivity. And I remember five years ago, I kind of ordered something similar in size. Um, and both were delivered of an end delivery from Post Malaysia. And I remember back then, this was five years ago, that it took a little bit longer. It took like about uh, two weeks. And because of the size, that was a little bit of an issue delivering it. So no issues. I went to the PJ office near my house and picked it up. Now, this just got delivered last week and it took no more than five days and it came right in front of my door. Yeah. And now that you say this, I'm, I'm thinking about how the service has changed. And even me, my behavior has changed as well because how quickly these things can happen and how things are being delivered, right? And, and that's that's super, super critical, I think. And, and the other thing you mentioned about how important logistics has become, especially because of COVID. I'm just trying to imagine like if COVID happened 10 years ago, if COVID happened 15 years ago, I think we'd be... I'm going to use this word. We'd be kind of screwed a little bit because people had an option when they couldn't open their shops, when they couldn't dine in, they had an option to yeah. actually go to logistics or e-commerce to actually allow them to continue making a living. But back then when it wasn't so ubiquitous, they did not have that option and they would have really suffered. So yeah. I, I think that's super important to actually appreciate how it has become an enabler for us. And like you said, new normal, right? Even as we're opening up right now, people are still relying on the service very heavily to ensure that it happens. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think, um, yeah, and again, I, I think see, the iPhone's only like ten or fifteen years old, so the speed of change in technology um, has has just accelerated. I mean, again, when I was growing up, online didn't exist. You know, mm -hmm. another interesting fact: the internet was started in the UK. How about that? And uh, it was only started about twenty odd years ago. It wasn't that? It wasn't so. It wasn't so. Uh, it wasn't so long ago. You know? yeah. So to your point, um, you know, and I guess I guess humans will adjust regardless. But to your point, we're we're quite fortunate to live in an age where we can theoretically keep everybody still connected and shopping and buying and living and existing and. Mm -hmm. Know, getting whatever it is that's completely essential to deliver to their door. So, yeah, right, right. There's, there's a question I wanted to ask you because as you were saying, especially with uh, what you mentioned about your trip to Malacca, that really struck at me because you said you went to Malacca and you spoke to the, the you went to a shopping mall and you're speaking oh. to each one of these people. And even right now, as you're talking to us, you're sharing these stories, all these stories very openly as well. So it seems like this connection and stories are two yeah. very, very important perspectives for you. Absolutely. Why is that? Why, why do you have this such a strong uh, want to do this? Connecting with people, connecting with stories, and even the whole uh, initiative in Mail Rocket. I saw, I saw the video. Mm. That was really interesting because it's, it, it hit me. It really did hit me because people did not or were not able to connect with others for a very long time for this two years, and you just gave them an option to connect and tell stories. Why is that so important to you? Well, I think 
you know, a few, a few reasons. One is in terms of, you know, what I've been doing over under the last 12, I think I've been here 12 weeks now, but the last 12 weeks mm-hmm. is just listening, asking a lot of questions, but listening as much as I can to our employees, our customers, you know, trying to understand where is, where is Post Malaysia, where is Post Lajund, you know, hearing from the front line is the best, best way. So to anybody listening to this show, um, you'll learn more one hour on the front line than you will do three hours in a boardroom. I absolutely promise you. So mm. Um, mm. get out behind your PC and go mm-hmm. and spend your time on the front line. They call it Gemba in Japan, by the way. But um, mm. uh, anyway, but so I, I always have done um, valued getting as close to where the action is with the customer, with our employees, mm. the couriers, the postman, you're really understanding from their perspective, what do we do as an organization mm. that gets in their way? Trust me, they have all the answers. They know why we're doing well or why we're not doing well or whatever. Mm. So that's point one. So that's that's why I spend so much time out and about. Point two is that, um, you know, again, in the spirit of honesty, I think Post Malaysia has slightly lost its way over the last few years mm. um, and lost that connection with the community, mm. uh, which most you know, postal operators, as I said earlier, are there to connect the community. So I think it's really important that we recapture the hearts of the consumer and recapture the hearts of our employers. So mm-hmm. uh, Mel Rackett, as I mentioned earlier, one was born out of a conversation we share around how what can we do to do our part to help lift um, the family, the Malaysian family. Mm. But it was also in part, you know, to demonstrate to our consumers and demonstrate to our employees that mm. that we care, that the heart of Post Malaysia is still beating and beating quite loud. Um, mm. And it definitely did that. It achieved all of the things that I wanted to achieve and much, much more. Mm. Um, and thirdly, to, to your question around storytelling. So if I asked you, you know, at the, if I rang you in two or three or four weeks' time, mm-hmm. Tell me something about Charles's interview. Mm-hmm. Or you will remember the gorillas. You won't remember 88% of the other stuff. Yeah. So stories, <laughs> stories are a fantastic way to pass on what you're trying to deliver, what you're trying to aspire to be. So in Post Malaysia, I, I do a weekly video to all, all of our employees mm-hmm. um, and tell stories. Tell stories, not made up stories, real stories, real mm-hmm. stories that um, demonstrate what I want us to become as an organization because it's an easier way for most people to, to um, remember. Um, the other one is song, music. And right. given that I can't sing very well, I, I haven't started that yet, but watch this space. That may be the next one. Uh, oh. <laughs> but I think, so, so, yeah, in simple terms, people, I think, can relate and understand to a story right. uh, much, much more than they can if I say it's really important we do A, B, C, D, F, G. You know, it, it doesn't right. come across quite as well. Right. And you know what? As you mentioned the whole gorilla thing, I was actually remembering a lot of things. And now that you mentioned gorilla, gorilla is the only thing in my mind at the moment. But I'll listen to this interview again and I capture all those things. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're kind of running out of time. And I know that you've uh, you've got other commitments as well. So I've got this one last question. You kind of already alluded to that about how Post Malaysia was um, going through some challenges, going through some challenges. And I can see that as well, because um, being here in Malaysia, where when I was growing up, the only company or the only organization I would go to if I want to send something is Post Malaysia. But as I grew up, then I started seeing all these other um, sort of last mile uh, services coming up, like uh, Ninja Vans, Grab Express, uh, Uparcel, DHL doing the DHL Express. So what's in store for Post Malaysia with so much or so many competitors out there right now, and probably the challenges that has happened, what is in store for Post Malaysia as we move forward? 
Yeah, so um, yeah, a few few remarks. So first and foremost, here's the really interesting thing. So I, I've spoken to, oh, it must be more than maybe 300 or 400 customers mm. um, to get their feedback on what's good or not good. Right. I also then get a load of comments from Facebook, and I, which we, I engage in and get feedback there as well. So I get lots and lots of different feedback. But there's, a, there's some very common red threads. One of the common red th threads are, or one of the ones I'd share with you and, and your audience is, doesn't matter what experience you've had with post-Malaysia or post-Lazio over the last four or five years or whatever, whatever your sort of experience timeline is, deep down, Malaysians love, love post-Malaysia and post-Lazio. There I can't a, deny that. That's so there, true. There is a huge affinity between the Malaysian consumer and that brand that's over my vision. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and that's fantastic. So that means I have this amazing footprint um, as an organization. I have 20,000 people that already are buying into the vision and I can feel the heart starting to beat again and mm -hmm. go and, uh, you know, the noise, the jungle drum is starting to bounce really loudly. Mm -hmm. So I've got this 20,000 fantastic employees that really want to do an amazing job. And I have 30 odd million people that want to use this, you know, mm -hmm. just show me how, you know, mm -hmm. or give us a reason to do so. Mm -hmm. So I actually sit on a bit of a gold mine, if I'm honest. Um, so that, and, and one of the reasons why I came, came back to, to run the business is, is partly that. I think the upside opportunity is, is huge. Mm -hmm. That's it. So that's point number one. Point number two is that, it is a shark infested water. There's no question about it. There are a lot of other players in Malaysia today, more than when, even when I lived here before. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, some of them are not too bad. Actually, some of them are quite good. So uh, we, we, we have no right to win. We have to prove that yeah. we're worthy of your business because right. there is choice. There's choice right. in the marketplace. I mean, it's an easy adage to say that, oh, you know, I love competition and competition is good for everybody. I'm not so sure that's true actually, but uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think the reality is, the reality is they're not gonna go anywhere. They are here. Yeah. So that leads me to the third point, which is, you know, I can't do anything about what they do. They, they exist and they do what they're gonna do and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Uh, so everything we do is focused on how we make you know, Post Malaysia a fantastic organization. So in short, and to answer your question, we're going to, we're going to focus really on four key things. One is having highly motivated, uh, engaged and safe employees. I want every one of the 20,000 not to like working for Post Malaysia, but to love mm. working for Post Malaysia. And it's a very clear distinction between like and love. I want mm. them to emotionally want to be here because if they emotionally want to be here they'll emotionally give you an amazing service so that's mm -hmm. how so we're going to work really really hard to as i said earlier to recapture their hearts mm -hmm. give them purpose remind them of why we're here and what we're doing for malaysians mm -hmm. uh, give them career opportunities create diversity mm -hmm. so diversity in logistics is not great at the best of mm -hmm. time and mm -hmm. in malaysia we definitely have some opportunities to create a far more diverse and inclusive environment mm -hmm. make it fun you know etc but anyway fundamentally create a workforce that really loves working for post malaysia that's number one number two is um, provide a great service you know mm -hmm. if i was a restaurant and you came to my restaurant if my food is uh, then you're not coming back yeah? yeah in my business the reason we exist is to pick up move deliver Mm. and do that on time yeah mm. and to do it on time every single month mm. and the really great news is that in the 12 weeks that i've been here to your earlier comment 
um, we've moved our service for what we call D plus one, so next day delivery, mm-hmm. um, from in the 50s to now the best in Malaysia. I just got the latest. Oh, wow. Okay. The latest results we compare versus that we send shipments through all of the carriers. Right. We see who performs the best, and now we're performing the best. So mm. that wasn't true 12 weeks ago. So now we have the best restaurant in town, which is really fantastic. Nice. So right. that's the second one is having providing a great service. And, and actually, just one last point on the second one. It's physical and digital. So mm. we have a lot of work to do to, A, was to provide a great service. That was the first thing we wanted to achieve. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is to digitalize what we do. So you don't have to come into our facilities. You can do it online. You can print the label, do your road tax, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's a journey we're going to take uh, post-Malaysia to in an accelerated uh, rate through the next right. 12 months. Right. The third one is to, is our customers. You know, so any business only exists for its customers Mm. and we need to love our customers a lot more than we have done today the attitude has to be everything we do comes from a position of putting the customer in the center of that experience what are Mm. we doing that makes the customer happier with post malaysians Mm. if you look at some of the facebook comments um i'll give you some examples when i first came in everybody i asked for quick comments it was a wash with do this, don't do that, stop this. And one of the, you know, some of the key ones were things like your retail counters, can they be open seven days a week and longer hours? Because mm-hmm. we want to do it, we weren't open at weekends when mm-hmm. people want to come and use us, you know? Mm-hmm. So now we've got 25 of our retail counters are open seven days a week mm-hmm. and it'll be 200 by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's listening and then doing something about it. It's right. so things things like that. So really focusing on, how can we make the customer experience, the customer journey as positive as it can be? There are so many things, by the way, that we need to fix, but we started. And the last one is, and to your to your earlier question is, um, we need to need to be financially sustainable. You know, right. so we haven't made a profit for a very long time, mm-hmm. um, and we need to make a profit a for our shareholders and stakeholders, mm-hmm. and b so that we can reinvest in the business. So mm-hmm. our plan is to quickly turn that around as well. So. It keeps me very, very busy. I looked about 20 years younger than this, about 12 weeks. (laughs) Um, It's good fun at the same time. I I think when all those uh, four kind of gets checked one by one, maybe the youth will start coming back to you again. (laughs) I hope so. My wife hopes so too, I think. Right. Charles, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I know you got to jump to another one uh, right now, but I'm just going to share this one last thing with you. I think this is a little funny, but it goes back to your comment about the whole Roman army thing and the logistere kind of thing. This is actually a quote from Alexander the Great. Uh, My logisticians are a humorless lot. They know if my campaign fails, they're the first one I will slay. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's actually, I mean, I mean, in a modern day, and this is, I mean, this is a truism of life, by the way. So, in modern day, um, all around the world today, if you go to the shelf to buy from IKEA to buy the bed you want to buy, or from the from Harvey Norman to get the TV you want, or whatever else, you'll find that shelves are empty and mm. stock is, and because the global supply chain is a bit of a mess at the moment for lots of different reasons, COVID one of them, but there are ships off of every port yeah. waiting to get in. So the supply, global supply chain is a bit of a mess. I'm not so sure they're going to be slaying anybody. Over there. At, least <laughs> at least I hope not. But yeah. it, is, it reinforces that, you know, that the intricacies of getting that TV to the shelf or the yeah. Maggie Me on the shelf or the whatever it may be is yeah. quite complicated. And 
again, like I said earlier, I'm very lucky to have 20,000 people to work hard to do that. But, um, it's good luck. So I'm going to say really good luck. And I'm, you're right. I'm a Malaysian and nothing else kind of gives me pride than seeing that logo over there, Post Malaysia, do good again. So have a great day, Charles. Thank you so much for joining us. You take care and catch you real soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hope that was a good listen for all of you and looking forward to having you with us in the next episode, released every Friday. Talk to Me is brought to you by Nicole. It's a learning experience platform that brings you AI-powered personal and contextual learning with expert curated curriculum and communities that allows any customized blended learning solutions all in one app. The team at Nicole aims to provide a tool for everyone to choose as well as accelerate their skills, growth, career, and future. So we invite you to join us. Check out nickel.app to find out more and let's Nicole.